This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I've been in clinical practice for over 25 years. I started podcasting about three years ago because I wanted to try to educate people about what being in therapy might really be like. I wanted to reach those folks who may already be in therapy and be interested in emotional and psychological issues. Or maybe you've just been diagnosed with anxiety or depression and want some answers. Or, of course, there's also the group that might never consider walking through a therapist's door, think they wouldn't, but they're curious enough to listen to a podcast. So here at Self Work, we focus on many diverse issues, and today it's going to be about body image, how acceptance of your body can be so difficult. I'll go over seven common reasons for this struggle, ending with the most complicated psychologically, perhaps, something called body dysmorphia. And we're not just talking about weight here. We're talking about anything that you are ashamed of or you demean yourself for about your appearance. I'll have some statistics on what's happening with plastic surgery as more and more people turn to fillers and other treatments. I'll quote Oprah talking about her own very public journey about her weight. And as always, we'll focus on what you can do about it. Our listener email today is from someone, actually a woman, with a severe addiction to her television, binging on Netflix, and what this is doing to her sense of self-worth. Now, she called it her television. It obviously could be her laptop or something, but she used the term TV. So that's the podcast for today, episode 141. I can't believe that. So come with me as we focus on body image and appearance. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I like to tell stories. So here's one about shame and body image that hopefully will be helpful. My own shame about my own body image. Years ago, I was looking for a pair of black jeans and I found a pair where I liked the fit and I decided to buy them. But as I was walking out of the store, some Target or something, I saw another pair just like them, but in white. So I grabbed that pair as well because a pair of jeans feels good. It's just plain necessary, right? As it happened, however, I didn't pull out the white jeans for a couple of months to wear. When I did, I realized that they were one size too small. I'd grabbed a smaller size. But I couldn't take them back. It had been too long, and I'd already taken the tags off. So what did I do? I kept them, saying to myself, well, I bet I can get down to that size one day. I didn't give them away, but kept them hanging in my closet. Now, this may seem like a really lame story until I get to this part. I actually moved those jeans three or four times to different apartments. I saw them every spring and summer hanging there waiting for me, and I felt the shame. Why hadn't I lost weight? Why couldn't I get into them? And remember, the jeans were a size too small when I bought them. My shaming voice was telling me I should be a smaller size. There was finally one time that I could wear them. I was really stressed. I was in a musical. I had a toddler. 
and somehow magically I got skinnier. But that didn't last long as I love to eat and I'm no longer actively anorexic like I was in college. So the weight came back on. The jeans hung in my closet a couple more years, whispering to me every time I saw them, shame on you. The day I gave them away was the day I got out of that shameful prison. It was really, for me, momentous. I remember there were, there were tears in my eyes when I did it because I'd made a decision about self-acceptance. And I wasn't going to have a pair of jeans tell me anymore that I was somehow unacceptable. So why is body acceptance so hard for so many? Really, there are a lot of reasons. Let's go over six or seven of them. Here's the first. You learned that self-acceptance means not being strong. That somehow it equates with resignation or it means you're not trying. A lot of times perfectionists are not self-accepting at all. Things can always be better, or that's what they tell themselves. And so there's constant pressure. The second one is a fear of aging. And it doesn't really matter what age you are. The natural signs of not being 20 or 40 or 60, it can happen at any age. It's interesting, Botox sales are huge now for millennials, According to a report by the American Academy of Facial, Plastic, and Reconstructive Surgery, cosmetic procedures have increased by 47% since 2013. 72% of plastic surgeons have said that they've noticed an increase in patients under 30 years old. Millennials, for example, have increased the demand for plastic surgery procedures because what they will say, I want to look better in selfies. Also, it's become a lot less taboo to get your body tweaked professionally. And another interesting statistic is that four-fifths of the cosmetic treatments in 2018 were non-surgical procedures like Botox or fillers, microneedling, and non-surgical rhinoplasty. And again, the focus is on looking better in selfies. A third reason, you're needing to feel in control. It's long been known, for example, that anorexia or highly restrictive eating is known not to be about food, but to be about control and worth. I did a podcast on eating disorders, and that's episode 133, if you want to hop on over there. But this need to control is really a problem for many. The fourth is that you have old hurts that get triggered by what you see in the mirror. You may hear the taunts of bullies for being short or tall or big or little. I worked with a very, very petite woman one time that told me people used to pat her on her head like a dog. Ugh. Or maybe a memory is that you still hear your grandfather asking your mom what you weigh, or you can see his staring at you disrespectfully and unlovingly when you went through early adolescence. Your very body has become a reminder of that trauma, and you struggle to put any positive energy into it. Your hatred for what you look like can lead you to not taking care of that very body. And of course, that's a cycle that's hard, very hard to break. A fifth reason for poor body image or poor body acceptance is that you were abused or you are being abused. And you see your body as something to be used rather than cared for. When you're sexually abused, your body becomes an object to be manipulated. And if your body responded and was aroused, that self-loathing can lead to all kinds of body 
image and acceptance problems. A sixth reason is maybe you struggle to find your worth in what you are, not what you look like. This would probably lead us to a spiritual discussion, not a religious discussion, but a spiritual discussion about what you believe is really valuable about your own life. I turned to Oprah for this as I found a quote in Things I Know For Sure or What I Know For Sure or something like that. And she says, I know for sure that I'm not my body. I feel more connected to consciousness or soul or inner spirit. Whatever you choose to name the formless being that is the essence of who we are. I think of all the years I've wasted hating myself, fat, wanting myself thin, feeling guilty about every croissant, then giving up carbs, then fasting, then dieting, then worrying when I wasn't dieting, then eating everything I wanted until the next diet. Wasted time, abhorring the thought of trying on clothes, wondering what was going to fit, what number the scale would say. All that energy I could have spent loving what is. Such wasted time. Because what you give your attention to looms larger, in this case literally, and all my focus on weight actually made me fatter. I can look at a picture from any period of my life, and the first thing that comes to mind is not the event or experience, but my weight and size, because that is how I viewed and judged myself through the prism of numbers. But I've given up scale watching, letting a number determine how I see myself and whether I'm worthy of a good day. It is indeed a miracle when you realize the fullness of who you are. You're not your body, and for sure, you're not your body image. You know, as a therapist, I have the distinct privilege of working with many, many different kinds of people. And what I've noticed is that there are all kinds of people with all kinds of different sized bodies that shame themselves for what they look like. They'll find something wrong with their hair, something wrong with their eyes, something wrong with their knees, something wrong with something. It's just all about shame. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But let's talk for a second about body dysmorphia. Body dysmorphia is when you actually have obsessions about your body, about a part of your body often. And you have a very distorted view of some aspect of your body. It's a serious mental illness. And it's related to obsessive compulsive disorder. Usually begins around puberty and affects both men and women. Someone with body dysmorphia focuses on something about their appearance that may be real or completely imagined. They are very preoccupied with at least one perceived defect or flaw in their physical appearance, which actually may not even be observable to others or appears only slight. It could be a scar or often their nose. Obsessive and repetitive behaviors are a central part of body dysmorphia. People will develop repetitive behavior in response to the real or imagined problem. They'll pull their hair, they'll pick their skin, they'll mirror check all the time. It's not the same thing as being self-obsessed or somewhat narcissistic. It's really a serious mental illness that influences the way they view themselves. And of course, it's all about shame. They may have a history of body shaming, bullying, or something which has led to low self-esteem. And the shame could be either internal, where there is a 
voice inside your head that says extremely critical things to you or actually feels disgust at what you look like. And then there's fear of rejection. That's more of an external kind of shame. These obsessions can last for many hours every day and make it very difficult for them to focus on just daily tasks. Now, again, you may think, well, gosh, do I have body dysmorphia? But remember, like any mental illness, it has to interrupt your normal functioning for you to actually qualify as having the disorder. And of course, therapy and medication may help with body dysmorphia. They may attempt to fix things with cosmetic surgery, but it's really not very helpful because they'll just focus on something else. Basically, all of these problems boil down to shame, fear of aging, being abused, bullying, whatever the source of the shame is. There are different forms, different voices, different memories, different fears. But shame is at the root of them all. And letting go of that shame is the answer. It's not an easy answer, but it's the answer. If your shame is internal, you have to notice that voice and then replace that thought with another one. It's a very proactive process, and it takes practice. And again, the reason why I told my little story about the genes is because there will be triggers. Those genes were a trigger for me. We talked about triggers in the last episode. Every time I looked at those genes, I thought, I'm not good enough the way I am. You could have other triggers. Maybe there are clothes hanging in your closet that do that for you. Maybe you're always comparing yourself to a friend who just naturally has a very athletic body or has curly hair and you want curly hair or has straight hair and you want straight hair. (laughs) So people can be a trigger for you. Certain environments can be a trigger. And of course, being around people who perhaps themselves have body image problems and so their feedback to you would be, of course, you could lose a little more weight or why are you eating that hamburger? And this can go very deep. I'll tell you another story. One time when I was gosh, probably around in my mid-40s, my mother, who had anorexia, looked at me coming down the hall of their home. I was visiting, and I had on some hiking boots. And she said, those don't look like something you'd wear. And that's all she said. And I made a joke. I'd been in therapy about my mom. (laughs) And I made a joke and said something like I'd become a mountain woman since I was living in the Ozarks. But when I got back to my hometown, Fayetteville, Arkansas, the next time I was about to put those shoes on, I thought, I probably do look stupid in these shoes. And then I caught myself because I realized I was being triggered. My mother's comment had stuck with me. And all of a sudden, I felt odd and like, I shouldn't wear hiking boots. I slammed those shoes on my feet and wore them all day, fighting thoughts of, do I look stupid? Do I not look stupid? But I had to wear them. I had to confront that trigger. So look for the triggers in your life and confront them. And if your shame feels more external or you're more afraid of rejection or criticism from others, make sure you're looking around you. Don't look at magazines or Instagram to have those bodies or those pictures or those photos as what you're comparing yourself to. Really see all the different bodies of all the different people in your life that you love. It is reality. 
that some people will judge you based on superficial criteria, what you look like. Of course, I'm not trying to say that. But you can surround yourself with people who aren't like that and be one yourself. Try to find people who feel comfortable, literally, in their own skin. And one more point about what you can do about it. You can believe that others expect of you what you are expecting from yourself. Meaning, if you think you should be 10 pounds thinner, you're going to think, I bet everybody else thinks I should be thinner too. You project that onto others. But if you work on your own internal shame, that fear of rejection will also slowly decrease. Another thing I've learned as a therapist that we all are self-conscious. And most of the time, everyone is thinking about themselves, not about you. So realize that your own fears, your own shame, you don't want to project that onto other people. I love what Maya Angelou said in one of her books, and I'm going to badly quote her here. But it was something like, if someone comes up to me and says, I'm about to say something that might hurt your feelings, then I tell them not to say it. Why would I want my feelings to be hurt? Now, this is, like I said, a very loose translation on my part, but you get the drift. We give others the power to hurt us. So you can take back that power by not shaming yourself and not allowing them to shame you. And even if you work on your own internal shame, and this is an important point, Even if someone says something to you that might hurt you, or maybe even is meant to hurt you, it'll roll right off of you because it doesn't have any place to stick. That's the beautiful thing about letting go of shame because it's your own sense of shame that gets triggered when someone shames you. And as I said, that disempowers the other person and certainly empowers you. Here's our listener email for today. She says, Over the last several years, I've noticed I watch an insane amount of television while simultaneously I'm on my phone, scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or Reddit. I'm not really present and put off projects or basic household chores. I was a big television viewer even before streaming devices or social media became popular, but I was able to complete tasks back then. I'm not sure if this is just another side of my depression, which I already know I have, or if this is a real addiction. I can have a plan in my head to do X, Y, or Z, but then I think, well, I'll just watch one episode, and that one episode will turn into an entire season in one night. I know one answer could be just to get rid of my television, but the thought of that terrifies me. I hear this a lot from some of my patients. So here's my answer. Hi. As with any addiction, I always like to suggest to people that they ask themselves one question. What am I hoping to experience by doing whatever it is that I feel I can't do for myself? Whether with the TV, you think you'll feel less lonely or you're afraid you can't amuse yourself, I obviously don't know. But something is keeping that addiction strong. And yes, I do believe it's becoming an addiction. So what can you do about it? One of the things that I suggest to people is that as they're watching some program or some show, that actually go on and turn it off before it stops, just five minutes early, so you don't see the end, and then go about your day. What that does is that you realize your life really doesn't change all that much if you don't view those last few minutes. 
It's an exercise in trying to wean yourself off. Another reason to address this addiction is to remember that esteem, self-esteem, is built on a sense of competence, knowing you do things well or say things well or know how to sort out feelings, whatever is your competence. There's your esteem. I've never heard anybody say, oh, I scroll really well. Watching a show, scrolling, even liking is a very passive activity. You aren't building your own skills in structuring your time. You may be bored in your filling time, but that's not learning a new skill. I've noticed in myself, if I'm in a waiting room, for example, I'll pull out my phone as if I don't have the skill to fill the time myself. I've included a link to my own episode, which is episode 40, about depression, suicide, and your cell phone. And then I've also included a Harvard study on what happens in your brain when your texting signal goes off. So as I suggested before, I would back off gradually and see what happens. You want to enjoy those kinds of shows because they bring you pleasure, not because you get dependent on them to structure your time. I want to thank you for being here at Self Work today. I love the emails I'm getting at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com that lets me know who's listening, why you're listening, and especially the written reviews on iTunes really give me that information. I got a little feedback about the podcast on personality disorders. It was a little too much information. So I hope maybe you'll go back and listen to that if it was, and I'll try to keep that in mind. I've got a new feature on self-work, however, and you'll find it in the show notes. You're able to leave me a voice message now that I can use in the listener email segment, except I'm actually hearing from you. You could ask me a question or make a comment. Again, you'll find the icon in the show notes, and I'd love to hear from you. You can subscribe to DrMargaretRutherford.com, which is my website, and you'll receive a weekly blog post and this podcast, which is a really easy way to keep in touch with me and know what's going on. That newsletter is only weekly, and you won't get any advertising or anything like that because you've signed up. If you notice, I don't have any advertising on this site. I'd love for you to catch me on my professional Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Rutherford. I have an Instagram account where I'm doing a series called What I've Learned as a Therapist. I'm having a lot of fun with that, actually. And then I have a closed Facebook group. We're over a thousand members now. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. But please know there are questions there that I need you to answer. So many of you are coming for the podcast, but not answering the questions. So if you've asked to be a member and you haven't heard from me, it's because you didn't answer the questions. The reason why I'm making that a criteria is because I want to make sure people have a good reason for being there and an appropriate reason for being there. It's about the only protection I have. I'll check your Facebook page, that kind of thing. But I'm trying to protect the people in the group because you're sharing personal information, and I want that to be as safe as possible. Again, thank you for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.